0: And now remain standing for a reading of God's word. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We'll continue our study in the book of Exodus, but especially in, the, in this section, which is commonly called the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the moral law. All these terms are, are proper to the f- first 17 verses of chapter 20. So uh, just one verse, but I'll back up and read from verse 1. Our verse will be verse 3. That's our text. Beginning with verse 1 of Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's as far as I'll read. Let's pray. Now, Lord as you have introduced yourself to us as God and our God and our Redeemer, we pray that we would act as rational creatures sanctified in your name and that we would indeed know what it is to obey this commandment, to know your will and to do it, that we may please you and that you, Lord, may be honored before all creation, before men and angels, principalities and powers as the true and living God who deserves all worship. And we pray your help. And so we pray in Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. My friends, your first duty in life and your beautiful and enduring and eternal duty in heaven is to worship Jehovah God as your God and Him only. And uh, as time rolls out in your life, you need to understand that there are many contenders for this title, God. Even if they don't appear to be selling themselves as such, your heart will natively, your wicked heart, your sinful heart would, will bend and have a, a proclivity, a tendency to make what is not God a God, to satisfy you and in the innermost being with something that only God can satisfy. Because first and foremost, you were made for God. And your, your heart, your soul will never be satisfied with anything else until your heart possesses its love. And and we need to understand that right out of the gate. And that's why in these Ten Commandments, the Lord places this commandment first. In fact, this commandment wraps up all commandments. And for this reason, we see that it is impossible to pick and choose one commandment or this commandment or to set it aside from the ten because it's all one organic whole. It's like a fabric that's intertwined. And we shall see if we understand this commandment rightly. That God needs to be worshipped as God by everything that he's expressed himself to be, both by nature in our own creation, in our own own being, and by the work of the the revelation, the revelation of Christ and the revelation of Scripture. So the teaching this evening is your first duty in life is to worship Jehovah your God and him only. And you need to understand that God is provoked when you do not worship him as God, as your God and your Redeemer. He's provoked. He's a a jealous God. It it is more than merely an error. It is more than merely a misunderstanding, a lack of instruction. You know better and He knows better. And we should not provoke the Lord. But that's that's the teaching in this first commandment. Your first duty. Commandment number one is to worship Jehovah your God and Him only. And you need to be warned because God is provoked in having any other God before Him. First commandment then, the first point is this, that the first commandment was written on the first table of the Ten Commandments. Uh, I am of the old, uh, the more the, the more careful, and I think the more correct Bible exegetes that say there are two tables, and it appears the first table uh, is the more important one because... It deals with our relation to the most glorious being. Uh, In other words, if we sin against a prince, uh, it's a sin against the prince, and it's a sin against the creature, and we do very badly to sin against any creature. But if we sin against the emperor, my friends, there are other consequences, aren't there? Because the emperor holds more authority and more power. And it's not just a matter of his exerting his privileges, It's the matter of the glory of the office and the majesty of his office. But his sins against God are sins against the only true good we have, the only source of blessing, the only source of happiness, life. And what are we doing displeasing or worse, provoking the one who is our benefactor and our Father in heaven? The first commandment then is written on the first table. And the first table is the one that we, as Christians today, have the greatest proclivity, the greatest tendency to ignore or to excuse or to explain away. Oh, we think we have a lot of scholarship. But my friends, what we need more is is, is a greater anointing, a greater fear of the Lord, a greater understanding of the Scriptures. Moses received two tablets, Commandments 1 through 4 contains man's duty to God, and we do have duties to God. And God has every right to ask us what to do because he's our maker, he knows what's good for us. Commandments 5 through 10 then contain man's duty to neighbor and self, we'll look at that as well. Uh, And when we fail those, we we certainly hurt our neighbors, but we also uh, impugn ourselves as sinners against God. Because we sin against his creature. Whether he's redeemed a Christian or not, we are harming his creation. And so we sin against God in the second table as well. As well as our neighbor. The summary of the first table then, as we saw in preaching through Matthew, is uh, uh, summarized in Matthew 22, and verse 37. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength with all our mind, with all our being. All our being is to be devoted to loving God. And what this means is not having an emotion about God or an affection about God. It means it certainly has it certainly includes that, because that we are emotional beings. Uh, but it is much more than that. It is it is understanding his will for us, understanding something of his glorious person, his existence, and uh what he wants us to be uh, to obey, so that is our that is our duty, and that's the summary of the first table, uh, and and the the first commandment is again a summary of all that we uh, that all the, the ways that we need to relate to God uh, as His person, and the second one we'll we'll understand uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks when I, the third week of of April when I hopefully uh, d- uh, take up the second commandment. But that's the first commandment. It's written on the first table. We distinguish the first table of the ten and the second table. Well, what does the? We need to understand what the first commandment does not teach. In saying, "Thou shalt have no other gods before me," that does not mean there exists any other true God. Let's, let's just uh, get that right out uh, right out of the gate. God is saying you are to prefer me above any other god, or to say that there is any other god. What we're getting at here is a very beautiful word, a theological word that I was hope would not be too, too cumbersome to take up. The aseity, the, the uh, aseity of God, which means his self his existence. No one produced God. And so he is God of himself from eternity to eternity. And there is no other being that can have that but God. And so uh, we need to understand. That God is distinct from any other being; He is uh, He is one God, and yet He is Trinity. And I, I say this because uh, because we are Christians, and we cannot think of God really uh, for very long without really thinking Him with him, uh, thinking of Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I, I won't I won't argue that point now, uh, but these three are. The same God, that's the Godhead, as we refer to it theologically. And uh, this is one God, and each of the persons is God from eternity. The Son, heaven, from eternity, the Father. Excuse me, the Father, eternity, uh, from eternity uh, uh, as the Father, not begotten or proceeding, but the Son, uh, begotten of the Father, and the Holy Spirit, begotten, uh, proceeding from the Father and the Son. That's Those three are one God, equal in power and glory. Uh, to, for a Christian to, to speak of God in any other terms, uh, we allow, uh, but not, uh, not if we were to audit him and tell him all that you know about God, and he does not include Trinity. If he does not include Trinity, he has not God. God has revealed himself, and not merely in the New Testament, but all over the Bible as uh, the three in one. God is a spirit, he is infinite and eternal, and he is unchangeable, as is this law. This law pertains to his moral excellence and that there is only one God. And so as he is unchangeable, eternal, so is this commandment. Our God has all wisdom on power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And so we, with Moses and with Miriam, in the song of Moses... Can pray to him and sing to him, saying, "Who is like you, O Lord Jehovah, among the gods? Who who is like you, majestic and holiness, awesome and glorious deeds and doing wonders?" And the answer is, of course, no, no one. There's no one to compare. Uh, there's no one is there's no one, there's no one is opposite, and there's no one is equal. The first commandment does not teach that there exists any other true God. Uh, no other does teach that, that other so, so-called gods does not do not exist. Uh, let me repeat that. The first commandment does not teach that other so-called gods do not exist. All right. There certainly exist imagined gods, myths in the minds of people and and. and Well, again, as Calvin said, our hearts are are idle factories. We hear some conjectural knowledge of the true God, and we we exchange that and we morph it into something that is less than God. Now, the false gods of the pagans, these certainly exist in little g, so-called gods. Uh, The false gods of the pagans certainly exist, and to this we turn to Paul, 1 Corinthians 8. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, as, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. And another place in uh, in the, uh, chapter 10, verse 20, uh, he says, I imply that what pagans sacrifice uh, to gods, to their gods, they, off- they actually offer to demons and not to God. I don't want you to be participants with demons. Well, if demons weren't uh, existing as so called gods, then there would be no danger for Christians uh, to be deceived and partaking of the foods uh, offered to demons but but Paul says, just be very careful with that first Timothy four one the spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons uh, uh, really all uh, what we 're seeing today uh in, in in the Western world, especially through entertainment media and movies, as uh, the resurgence and the proliferation of many so-called deities, and we count them entertainment. And most of them, a lot of them, are, are very imaginative. They have uh, wonderfully colorful costumes, and they fly, and they throw hammers. And ah. but uh, be, but be very careful, because a great number of people in the world. Uh, will stumble at these, and, and I'm told that there's a revival of Norse, uh, myth, not mythology, but uh, religion. Norse religion in Chile, <laughs> of all places. They, they, these primitive people take the primitive gods seriously. Anyway, teachings of demons. The false gods are demons. Israel l- learned of this, unfortunately, in their sojourn in Egypt. Now, this is surprising. and something that the prophet Amos reveals to us. It's not been revealed in other places in our study of the book of Exodus, and Moses is treating with different subjects. But here, Amos asks a very penetrating question uh, of idolatrous Israel in times of apostasy. Amos asks, by the Spirit of God, Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? In other words, was it, you, was it me that you were sacrificing to in all those 40 years where I carried you in my bosom from Egypt to Mount Horeb and then to the plains of Moab and, and, and to the promised land? Did you bring me those sacrifices? You shall take up Sukkoth, your king, and Kijun, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves. All the while, they were going through some outward motions in the faith of our Lord, Jehovah, using the proper ordinances, their hearts were really uh, belonged to another God whom they adored in Egypt and whom they still could not shake. Idolatry is a very dangerous sin, and it's, it's difficult, it's difficult to break the bonds uh, and uh, of love, <laughs> I should say, you know, to, to a false God. Uh, but as to, the, as to the breaking of this commandment, the true God, the bonds of love here are quickly broken. Exodus 32 and verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods that we shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Exodus 32, verse 8, they've turned aside quickly out of, the, out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. That's Aaron saying that. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron, the high priest. And so Look at, how, look at how wicked our natures are and how difficult it is for us to break away from idolatry. Look how very easy it is for even sanctified nature to leave the true God. Quick as a wink, we are given to idolatry. The first commandment then does not teach these things, nor does it teach that Jehovah God should merely be first in rank among other gods. That's not what's being said. I've I've seen <laughs> I've seen this argument presented in various theological works. Neither does it teach that Jehovah God forbids other gods physically in His presence. That is to say, before Him, and literally in the Hebrews, is before His mouth, before His face, before His face. Jehovah God, uh, okay, you can have other gods, but just don't 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 have these other gods when you're worshiping God, because He doesn't like He doesn't like that. That's that's not it at all. That is not that is not what is being taught here. Well, what does it require? What does the first commandment teach? First commandment teaches that you love him and him only supremely, as it says in Deuteronomy six five. It says uh, Deuteronomy six well six five. Hmm, I've quoted the wrong. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, your Lord. The Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength and mind. And uh, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 14, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. All right. That you love him supremely is a condensation, really a a, a quick summary of what this commandment uh, teaches. Also, that you love no other creature by comparison. In other words, it's kin to the argument that Jesus says, whoever does not hate father, mother, sister, brother, uh, and follow me is not worthy of me. Although the Lord doesn't command us to hate our father or mother, but the word hate is by comparison. The Lord did not hate Esau. He, he was Esau's benefactor all of his days, but he loved Jacob and hated Esau because he chose Jacob. And by comparison, Jacob's uh, Jacob's understand, uh, inheritance was was vast, and uh, Esau forfeited forfeited his, his inheritance. That you love no other creature in comparison is as uh, expressed in Psalm seventy three, and that's put in the mouth of every worshipper of God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. <laughs> heaven and earth may pass away, but you, Lord, are are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's what every Christian should say who really is able to some degree here break the bonds of idolatry and, and be free to serve the Lord in the spirit of liberty. How do we obey the first commandment? And for this we have a handout, and I am not going to go through this, but, this, but I hope that you are. Uh, this is an exercise Uh, that you you should be able to take up at home. The larger catechism is not for theologians, it's not for the ultra-reformed, the truly reformed, uh, because it is is an explanation of the moral law, it is for every reasonable creature. And so I just read a sample in here from larger catechism 104, what are the duties required in the first commandment? The duties required in the first commandment are the knowing and acknowledging of God to be the only true God, and our god and to worship and glorifying him accordingly by and these are the means thinking and meditating and remembering and highly esteeming and honoring adoring choosing loving etc desiring and fearing him all these things are ing words that are active okay calling upon him giving him all praise being careful in all things to please him sorrowful if he's offended anyway that's Psalm one, that's uh, reading 104 you can read that on your own it involves more than just saying, yes, uh, I acknowledge that there is a God. This is what the first commandment requires. And if we don't do that, of course, we breach. Now, the first commandment, what it, re- what it, what it requires, it condemns by negation. And that's how we understand all of the commandments of God. It's not simply that we are to do what it positively states, we are to not do what it the implications of the reverse or the uh, the opposite of the positive commandment. So what does the first commandment forbid? Well, it it forbids you to omit serving him in in so many ways. Any omission is as grave as, as a commission. Now we are famous, famous for confessing sins of commission. Oh, I've done wrongly. I have sinned. But we are Negligent and terribly, terribly negligent, and confessing sins of omission. Well, first of all, think of this: we have in the church friends that will catch us in sins of commission. But it takes someone who's watching us very carefully and very, very cautiously—our our spouse <laughs> or our children. Hey, daddy, you—you you know, you—you you haven't talked to us in three months. Uh, That's—you uh, know what I'm saying? Who in the church is going to catch you on that? All right. That you, if you omit serving God on all these things, you sin, you break the first commandment. And then also if you serve any other gods. Now here's Psalm 105. Uh, of course, I keep saying the Psalms. <laughs> Sorry. In Larger Catechism 105, again, we have a reading. What well, sins are forbidden in the first commandment? Just a sampling. The sins forbidden in the first commandment are atheism. Of course. <laughs> That's a denial of everything. If everything, the, it's a flipping of everything this, this commandment uh, uh, states. Denying or not having a God. No, I, I, You know, I'm not an atheist, but I'm not, I'm not sure that God exists, so I'm an agnostic. You're not off the hook. I, you think you're off the hook? The first commandment stands. Idolatry, which is having other gods. Having or worshiping more gods than one. Like a Hindu, you know, you... you you evangelize a Hindu? And oh, yeah, he accepts the Lord Jesus. And he puts a statue of him along his shelf with 50 other gods. Yeah, he's a Christian. Sure he is. But not having and avouching him for God, on our God. Neglecting anything to do him, especially in worship. We have a call to worship. People think, well, oh, that's nice. They want us to come worship. But that's What a nice people have invited me to worship. Uh, yeah, we're nice, but we're also nice enough to, to say that the Lord commands you to come to worship. Yeah, because we love you and, and this is the statute. All men are to worship God. This is a moral law, universal, perpetual. It's binding all. The omission or neglect of anything due to him is included in this commandment. Even ignorance and, and superstition of his being, or of or of his works, or the way in which he works through ordinances. We place work we place a lot of stress on certain activity in the church, but we neglect the activity that God certainly will has promise to bless, such as the hearing of, and the, the reading of his word and the prayers of the church and singing, things like that. Hatred of God, self-love, self-seeking, inor- that is to say inordinate self-seeking, putting yourself, the creature, before, or putting your neighbor or putting your wife or putting your girlfriend or putting anything before God. That's all condemned. Lukewarmness. You know how the Lord Jesus hated that that sin in one of his churches in the uh Laodicea, deadness in the things of God, handling, handling the things of God rotely or, or merely by discipline. You've got the Christian disciplines. Like, I need to be in my, my quiet time. Okay, now I, I spent 10 minutes. Check, I did that onto the It's a deadness. You do things by rote. There's no love. There's, there's no affection. Making men the lords of our faith. Someone forces you to do something in the church that's plainly against the word of God, especially at worship. And you comply? You got to riot. Why? Some creature has just overcome your faith. You ought to step up and, and just say, "No, I, we object. Get out of here." Who are you, a demigod? Discontentment and impatient when God deals with you in His providence, saying you're not wise. Your power against me is being used against my will. You rise up against God. You, you raise your fist. All those things are practical atheism and the breach of the first commandment. Now, we have great reasons to keep the commandments. As, as in all commandments, my friends, God who made us knows what is best for us. And whether a person is Christian or not, whether he is regenerate or not, there is no man or woman, boy or girl, that will do ju- as well in life then to at least have, let's just say, keep these things before them as a guide, though they do not fulfill the commandment that they, will, they don't please God in. Yet as, as the civil law as administered in Israel goes, not, not the spiritual law, going to the very heart in worship to really please God in the spirit in this law, but just an external keeping of it, it still amounts to a great amount of good. And so we ought not to, my friends, re- recoil or, or reproach a, men, a, a magistrate if he wants to hang the, the Ten Commandments over a nation. Because in doing so, in calling forth what they call blue laws for the, for the Sabbath and all that, you go, oh, we don't need all that. There is just no other better way for people to live And much of the disorder, much of the violence, much of the hatred, much of the ignorance, much of the restlessness and tiredness of our age is because we do not have God and we remember His ways. Muslims that have respect for this law outwardly will will lead generally better and happier lives than any other nation in the world who forsake the Ten Commandments, okay? Because it is a template for life itself. Now, I'm not saying that they are they are pleasing God by it. I'm not saying that they will have the rewards by it. Uh, I, some theologians, now Jonathan Edwards did say, even the outward keeping of the, tem- of the, of the commandments of God, uh, it's not a reward, but at least the wrath will be lessened in hell. And it's not, that's not an incentive for a Christian. That's no incentive for a Christian at all. But what then what is an incentive for a Christian? What great reason do you have to keep the First Commandment? Well, again, our uh, question, uh, Catechism 106 gives us this reason. The first reason is that all sin is before God, literally before my face. All right? These words before me are before my face in the First Commandment, says Catechism 106 teaches that God who sees all things takes special note of a notice of and is much displeased with the sin of having any other God and he says this so it may be an argument to dissuade us from it and to aggravate it as an impudent provocation I'll get to what this means all sin is before God I just read the in my in my, my uh, in my machine plan reading today from the Proverbs, is the, the, that the eyes of the king search out evil throughout all of his realm to eradicate it. If a king, if, if, a, if, if a civil authority, a, a, a magistrate with great power and empire, studies his people to make sure that there is no insurrection, that the, the, the order is kept, and that there is decency, and uh, especially for the safety of his own family and crown, if he winnows, uh, as it were, his people, how much more God, who searches hearts and knows the motives and intentions of our every behavior, thought, and word. All sin is before God. He sees all, and he is especially provoked by idolatry, the first and the worst sin of all. The first and the worst, and here God expressly dissuades you from watching your heart, that it may not gravitate away from the pure and uh, uh, the, the pure and intelligent worship and love of God. And so, then, what is your duty when you see yourself sinning here in? 106 of the larger catechism says we are to aggravate as the most impudent provocation. What does it mean to aggravate your sins? It's to think of all that God is and his uniqueness and to think how very, very wicked, most outrageously impudent you are to think that anything else can give you life, or sustain your life, such as money, or uh, protect you, uh, or save you in the end, or give you happiness, security, health. There is anything that that goes and touches your life where you think, well, I don't know if God's in it or not, but uh, I trust that this will cure my arthritis, or whatever. You must aggravate all your sins in light of this first commandment. Isaiah 6. Look, Isaiah was a man like you and I. but He was a prophet. He was already a professional prophet, sanctified to that office. But when he went and he saw that vision, the Lord opened his spiritual eyes to see his glory there. In Isaiah 6, he says... When he saw this, one angel called to the other angel, saying, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." He would not. He was not aware of that. He was in the temple, in his vision, but he but he now realized that the temple was a microcosm or a model, a micro uh, a micro model of the whole universe, and the whole universe is before God and so in His glory. The the Lord's glory fills all things of His creation. The whole of the cosmos. As, presented, as represented in the temple, is filled with his glory. And his reaction then, as a prophet, is woe is me. That is to say, I am imminently, I'm imminently now in jeopardy of destruction, of damnation. That's what he's saying, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, a prophet. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And that, my friends, is if we were to see God truly, we would not. We would not be hesitant and say, well, that's just morbid. Oh, Isaiah, that's morbid introspection. What kind of a gospel? How are you going to fill your church with this? My friend, the whole world is filled with this. That includes the church. If we don't see God rightly, we don't see anything. And if we don't see God rightly, we will never confess ourselves to be worthy of damnation, to be worthy to be cast out utterly. And that's the truth. We need to aggravate our sins, and that would, but then we don't just sit there and grovel in our sins. We rise up because we also preach the gospel to ourselves. This is where I'm dealing with law. Have you, have you noticed that all this I'm dishing out is law? But the, God, but the Bible doesn't just dish out law, and no preaching should ever dish out law. To the exclusion of of gospel, yeah, you aggravate. But then you you insist that God remember His promises to you in the gospel, that He is a God who saves sinners, that He that He is the one who gives us His Lamb, Jesus, that takes away the sin of the world, that He is that He died for you in your place, that you, yes, you're an aggravated sinner, but Jesus died the death of the most aggravated sinner. He died many, many hells, he suffered and endured many, many hells, that you would be free from that judgment. And uh, your duty then is to aggravate your sins in light of this first commandment. Because God is, 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 sees all and is before you all. The glory of the Lord is, is in all his holy temple, all of his cosmos. And you, my friend Isaiah, you just didn't see it before. But then also, whatever you do, you must do it in His service. Uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink, these are trivial things, aren't they? I mean, the the vision of Isaiah is not a trivial thing. The the vision of Isaiah is a wondrous thing. It's a unique thing. It stands tall in the whole testimony of the redemption. So when you're talking about as trite a thing as whether you drink water, or you, you you eat your cereal in the morning, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. That must be first and foremost in your mind. You are to be taking every thought captive to Christ. You are to be rejoicing always in His presence. And there can be no safe, no safer commandment to, to keep them to be thankful always, because... By nature, you are covenant breakers and you sin against God, but that's not all you are. You are the saints of the redeemed. You are in Christ, dear to Him, and you have been forgiven. And you will never, ever forget that you are forgiven and are His forever by promise if you are rejoicing always, if you are giving thanks in all things, for this is the will of God concerning you. Whatever you do must be in His service. Uh, I've said it before, I don't know, maybe once or twice. The good habit I learned from uh, William Perkins, begin any activity, any activity whatsoever, you parse out your day in terms of tasks. First thing you do is you pray. You complete the activity and you conclude in prayer. That's how Presbytery handles all of its committee reports. That's how Presbytery is run from first to last. Why? Because Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning of all things. And he is the concluding of all things. And all time is his. He's the Lord of time. And you are a creature of time and space. And you owe him doxology and praise. And if you will serve him in this way, then then you are serving God in a reasonable sacrifice. And that's what's required of you, Christian, in Romans chapter 12. I, I beseech you by the mercies of Christ to present yourselves an offering uh, holy, acceptable to God, acceptable to Christ, which is your reasonable service. You read uh, Paul there in Romans 13. And so, my friends, you see that if we're talking about eating cereal or drinking water, if we're talking about holding every thought captive to God, we are necessarily talking about relating to every other commandment in Scripture. And this is the moral law. Uh, it has this property that there, there are gatekeeping commandments. You enter the, the moral law as a gate and if, and if you breach if you that gate, if you burst that gate, you break all ten. Likewise, the tenth commandment is a, kind of a, is a kind of a gatekeeping commandment. And this is the one that finally got Paul he, he 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 finally saw that covetousness that that the desires of his inner man were were bent wrong. He he was desiring uh, evil, and so he was not a righteous man. And that and that was what convinced him that he was a sinner. It's a gate, it's a gatekeeping commandment, and it's, uh, and that's and that's why uh, I think it's James. It says you know the covetousness is idolatry. It relates the tenth to the one. They have these these book and properties about them. So that's your duty before God. Now you can take this list and study them in more detail, uh, because it it not only describes the duties, but the manners. It's more than just performing them, it's the way that you perform them, and the purpose of why you're performing them. All has to be your whole person, mind, body, soul, spirit, to the devotion of God as your God. So the concluding of the first commandment preaching then is that your first duty in life is to worship Jehovah your God and Him only. And God is provoked whenever you do not worship Him as your God. Now my friends, in your being, you have this this commandment because you're a creature in God's image. But as a Christian, you have this commandment whether you're taking notes on this sermon or not, you're taking this sermon home with you because the Holy Spirit has written this commandment in your heart. And so you are not far from remembering it because God has advantaged you more than any other creature, especially if you're a Christian. But now I adjure you that you understand it more. You have the commandment, but it's a summary. It's a summary of your duty in one line. And so you are to open it up and meditate it and explore and look at the various facets of this commandment. Why? Because God is, is, is the study of God and the, the contemplation of God is your most noble duty. And if you don't have some loving or some liking of that duty here and you purport to have the Holy Spirit, how in the world is that compatible with, with what you're going to be doing in heaven forever? Now these are preliminary exercises. We have the surety of, of, our, of our mediator in heaven, which is Jesus at the right hand. That's why we have assurance of faith. We're going to get to heaven because Jesus is our redeemer, and he is the surety of our salvation. But we have a surety here on earth, and we have, we have the Holy Spirit. And having the Holy Spirit, we have a teacher and a guide, and one who has written these commandments in our heart. And so, my friends, you need to open up this commandment. and and, and partially you know this is a good start again larger catechism as many as look at look at all these look at all this stuff this is a summary this is a summary the bible has the greater weight of the teaching study your bible uh, with a view to to see how wonderful it is to honor god as god and your god and your redeemer of course you are to actively you are to actively and obediently call it to mind. Uh, one thing you do is you come to, to church, the ministry in a well-ordered worship will help you uh, remember the greatness of God. Uh, we are your servants to that end. But you are not to be passive in this, saying, well, I have the commandments of my heart, and I carry them with me there, and God knows my heart. No. He wants you to know your heart and to relish what the Holy Spirit has written you there And so you are to actively remember it and confess when you break it. I've said this more than once. The testimony of a Catholic priest at at auricular confession, Roman Catholic priest, in all of his years as a a rector, he had never heard anyone confess the sin of of idolatry, or, excuse me, not idolatry, of, of covetousness. It's extremely subtle to a person who's in the flesh. But it's easy to one who is walking in the spirit to, and who's in the habit of bringing every thought co- captive to Christ when his, ha- when his thoughts turn from God. And so we need to confess idolatry. We need to repent. That is to say, to turn, go- to turn back to God and ask for grace to keep it. No person keeps this perfectly in this life. But and God knows that, and He accepts our weak efforts as a Father. And He knows the desires, the, 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 true, the true heart desires of a true Christian are to keep this first commandment. But that's not to say that we don't make some progress in this life. The Lord, by His help, is sanctifying us. Holiness is a reality. And uh, there will be a greater joy, greater liberty, greater wisdom, greater freedom for all who worship God. And if you honor him first, he is not going to forget you. He will not forget you. If you you exalt the Lord and sanctify him him in, in, in your heart, he will remember the humble estate of his servant and he will be a savior to you both in this life and the next. There can do no better. You can do no better than to keep this commandment. Let's pray. Lord, now help us to worship you in the way that you have instructed. We know these things please you. And not only that, Lord, but they're good for us. So convince us. Bless your people. And help us mightily to walk in the ways of your righteous law. For this is your holy will for us in Christ. Amen. And now our last hymn. All the way, my Savior leads me. We'll rise, we'll sing 605.